Welcome back, podcast Bible study learners. This is episode four in our First John study, and I am Amy Clarkson. Today we're going to be studying First John chapter three. If you're just joining us, I encourage you to start at the beginning. And you can find this podcast under Zone Logos, Z-O-N-L-O-G-O-S, which is Greek for living word. Go take a listen and even subscribe if you think of it, then you'll never miss one of our weekly sessions. Let's jump right in. And I'm reading out of the NIV translation. So this is 1 John chapter 3. And John has been talking a lot about um, the contrast between light and dark, talking about what it means to abide in Christ. And he has simplified that by saying that means to keep God's commands and most importantly, to love your neighbor and love your brother. So let's start with this first verse. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The King James and maybe your translation states this verse opening like this. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. I like that more than just the NIV's how great is the love because in the implication is this absolute amazement. Like I can't even figure out where it comes from. That word what manner in the Greek is potapos and it really meant like what country are you from? Like I can't tell by looking at you or this is strange or different and so when John is using this, behold what manner, he's saying, I don't even know where this is coming from. And this is amazing. And uh, that this love is lavished. I love that word too. It means to uh, be given or offered, but it really implies an opening of a door. Meaning God, ha God has called us or summoned us. He's opened the door to us for, uh, to experience his love. And for John, it's not just the love of the Father that is so amazing, but it's the second part, that we should be called children of God, that we should be invited to be children of God. Now, Paul uses the phrase son of God or sons of God for us in his letters, whereas John uses children of God. Can you think of how... Those two things are different. I'm giving you just a moment. So sons of God that Paul uses is a legal term that he talks about frequently in terms of adoption, meaning that legal adoption into God's family. Whereas when you hear the word children of God, you're not thinking about the legality and what you're owed, right, from a legal perspective. John is focused a lot more on the relationship. We're children of God. That's relational. Both of these are true. We are both legally God's children and have access as heirs to all that he has. But we are also relationally connected to him as true children of God. In the second part of this verse, John says, and that is what we are, 
and the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. What do you think John is referring to when he says that the world did not know him, did not recognize Christ when he was here, did not recognize what he was preaching and teaching? Any thoughts about what it was or why they did not know him or recognize him? I think there's lots of answers for this, but ultimately, doesn't it come down to expectations? What we expect to see or to find, and we miss things because our expectations are wrong. I often think today what we expect, maybe if God showed up today, would we recognize him or our expectations off? I assume it was happening with those early Christians as well what they expected of the church and what would be after Christ died and rose again was likely not recognized. John goes on to say in verse 2, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. To me, John is saying here, we can claim one thing for sure. There's one thing that we know. We can call out that we are children of God. But what we don't know is what we'll, we will become. I think this is true. Who of us can say what we will be, right? In that eternity space, we don't know what it will be like. But we do know that... When he appears, it says, we shall be like him. Now, most of the commentators say that this actually should read that if he appears, not when he appears. They said there was an error in the Greek translation. Um, it's not actually the point of this thought by John. You can read it either way. If he appears, when he appears. The point is that when and if we actually see Christ, he's made known to us, we behold him, we have no other choice but to become like him. And this last part of this is very important, for we shall see him as he is. That is the reason we are changed. This word, see him, in the Greek means to see with the mind or spiritually see. And this is truth, right? The more we spiritually see or see with our mind or come to understand who Christ is, don't we become more like him? And even that word to be more like him is homoios. It means in character or appearance. John, of course, is talking about our character. We're not gonna look like God at externally or like Christ, right? But the more we understand who he is, the more our character becomes like him. Let's read verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, this word for purify in the Greek is hagnos or hagnizo or from the word hagios, which is holy 
or hajismos, which is sanctification. These words are all related. It's this process of becoming holy when it's a verb or a noun or an adjective, uh, hagios, meaning it is holy or God is holy, describing him. But to be purified, to be made clean, to be sanctified, what does John say we need? Hope. That's an interesting take, isn't it, on this idea of purifying or holiness or sanctification. It's not that we need to go do some things, do some actions, give away a lot of money. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. And what is hope? Hope is to expect with confidence. It's eagerly awaiting something that you're for sure is going to happen. Let's move on to the opposite of purified or holy. This is verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Do you know people that would say they are not lawbreakers and yet you know that they sin frequently? I was just thinking about this idea of you know, lying or pride or things that we know are not holy, that are considered sin, and yet we do this and don't consider ourselves lawless. We would, we would have a higher ideal for ourselves. And yet John is pretty clear here. If you sin, if you lie, if you covet, if, you, if your pride has gotten run away with you, you're breaking the law because sin itself is lawlessness. Verse 5 says, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. I love in this little simple sentence is masterful theology, right? Why did Christ even come into this world? He wanted to take away our sins. You know, back there in their culture, they were looking for their Messiah to come and start a new kingdom. It doesn't say that. He came to start up a new kingdom. Uh, he did, in fact, set down a new way of living. But that was about taking away sin. And that word, to take away, is a word, A-I-R-O, A-R-O, which means uh, to sail away or destroy or carry off. It's not just to bury for a little bit. It's gone. It's, it's meant to be away forever. Verse 6 says, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. Now, I know different translations do not put the word keep on or continue to sin. And it's important to note that the NIV has it right in this sense. Those words for sin are present active indicative and present active participles. That's just fancy English <laughs> language that I had to look up to remind me that this sin that they're talking about is actually an ongoing thing. So what this verse is not saying is that if you've ever sinned, you can't 
abide in Christ or you've never, you didn't actually know him if you sinned. John is specifically talking about an individual who continues to sin despite knowing better. It's a routine, intentional, I'm not changing my life. That's important to hear. And that person or individual who would do that continue to disregard the authority of God and decide that they were in charge of themselves, no one else, well, it would make sense that this person can't dwell in Christ, right? They can't, Christ can't take up residence and kind of move in to somebody that doesn't want any type of authority from Christ himself. And in fact, John's even saying, I doubt that person actually got to know Christ. Because if we get to know Christ, we know him, and we know his intent and his heart and what he's done for us, I would say most don't continue to reject him and do our own thing in a blatant, disrespectful way. I'm reiterating that so much because the gospel and the Bible is one of hope and not of legalism and shame and it would be easy to read some of these verses and think well I give up I guess I I haven't really known Christ I guess he's not really in me this is not a message of that that being said it also doesn't mean we don't have to worry about anything John goes on here in verse 7 and says your children do not let anyone lead you astray he who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Now, this word is in contrast to the continue to sin. Whoever is doing what is right is righteous. So how do you practice righteousness? That is not a word that I use a lot with my kids. All right, children, make sure you're righteous today. Bundled up in that word righteousness is doing what is right. And we do that based on what our intent is and what our motives are. That's what's most important. But I want you to know that this is a present participle, active participle, just like the continues on in sin. This is a habitual continues on in acting right. To simplify, I really feel like John is saying, look, if your intent is to do good and you continue to work on that and practice that and try, then you are walking in righteousness and will be righteous. If your intent and what you're practicing is evil and hurtful and sinful and you continue to spend all of your time on that, well, you have no part of all of this. And that's what he says in verse 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. I'm just pausing there, but you see it's that intentional, willful, continual sinning that he's talking about. And it is, it's harsh. He says that person who does that is of the devil. And he's relating that just as those of us who do what is right and continue to try that. We're modeling ourselves after Christ then the opposite would be too. You're modeling yourself after the devil as he's the one who's been sinning since the beginning. 
the second part of that says the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Remember, John has just said that the reason Christ appeared was to take away sin. Well, these are absolutely related. The devil's work is sin. So to destroy the devil's work is to destroy our continual habitual sinning. Now I want to just describe this Greek word to destroy the devil's work. That word destroy in the Greek is luo, L-U-O, and it means not just to loosen or break up, but also to destroy and melt, like obliterate. And that word work means effort. So the whole point is to destroy or melt or break up the effort of evil. Let's move on to the next verse. Verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This phrase, born of God, is also used in chapter 2, verse 29, when John says that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Being born of God. That word in Greek is geneo, G-E-N-N-A-O. Does that remind you of any words we use in science? Maybe genetics? That's what I think of. And that Greek word geneo is a word that has to do with genetics. It's produce. It's offspring. John explains a little bit more of this idea of being born of God. He says that God's seed is in him. As you can imagine, since we're talking about reproduction and genetics, the word seed in Greek is sperma. Again, remind you of any modern science words? So if God has sown something deep within us, part of his nature you could consider as a part of his seed, a part of his character and his essence is in us, then John is simply saying that cannot exist with someone who continues to keep on sinning. Notice the verb tense here again is this continuation, not has sinned once or sins once. It's an intentional continual to keep on sinning. One of the commentaries I read even mentioned that in the Greek this is really saying you cannot be a sinner. And that's different than saying you cannot commit a sin. Do you see the difference there? If I paraphrase this, I would say no one who's been born of God is still a sinner. Because a sinner is someone who's going to continue to follow their own way, disregarding God. But can someone who is born of God still commit a sin? Absolutely. We all do. We will not have this seed of Christ's character matured to perfection until we're on the other side. But that's a whole different idea. And there's more grace knowing that than the person that John's talking to that is, again, disregarding who Christ is. John now is stating this in a opposite way. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not 
do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Of course, John is speaking outwardly and externally here. How do we know if somebody is a Christian or not? How do we know if somebody's following Christ or not? He's saying, look at their lives. Look at their behavior. He's saying it in a kind of a negative way when he says, anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. We can also say, anyone who continues to keep on sinning, that's what we've been saying above in the previous sentences, or we can say it in the positive, anyone who does what is right. And again, we already mentioned this above. This doesn't mean perfection. You always do what is right. You never make a mistake. You never sin. It's that continual habitual effort in goodness versus evil. And this last sentence cannot be left out. He says, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. What does it all come back to for John? In all of this talking about sin and righteousness, you can easily see that what is on John's mind is not all of the little nitty gritty uh, sins and righteous acts and being legalistic. It's coming back to this one central thing that he's going to talk about next, which is loving one another, loving our neighbors, loving our brothers. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to hit chapter 3, verses 11 through the end of chapter 3 next time. But for now, I would love to hear your thoughts. When you read this passage, were you feeling under the weight of trying to live a perfect life and feeling discouraged? Or can you step back and see the freedom and the intent of our lives? And to come back to that very first, very first sentence, how great is the love of the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. That's what I would hope you walk away with today. Otherwise, see you next week.